p.m. East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, City Pulse Music Editor Rich Tupica takes us down memory lane, and I'll check in with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman on the state of the 2020 presidential campaign. First up, though, Michigan was back in the national headlines last week thanks to armed protesters inside the state capital as the legislature debated the fate of Governor Gretchen Whitmer's emergency shutdown order. We checked in with City Pulse columnist Kyle Malin of the Capitol News Service, Mears. Kyle, we saw quite a scene at the Capitol on uh, Thursday, protesters outside and protesters inside, and then the Republicans essentially defying the governor. First of all, uh, where does this go from here? Well, I think that it would probably going to end up in court. I would imagine that the uh, legislature is going to sue and say that we are not under a state of emergency because the governor doesn't have the authority to continue uh, an emergency declaration, which gives you the powers to suspend uh, state laws and regulations um, and uh, without legislative approval. And they didn't give it to her. And uh, so she created a new emergency and uh, is operating under the new emergency. So I imagine that we're going to see some type of uh, court challenge because of this and uh, increased tensions as we deal with the budget. Uh, how uh, This is obviously somewhat political. Uh, the Supreme Court is Republican. Uh, how's this going to play out, do you think? I think the governor will probably end up being victorious on this. And, and the reason is because there are two different laws that govern emergencies in the state. One was created in 1945 as a response to World War II and the uh, concern about protests and uh, mobs and that type of reaction, uh, civil unrest. And the other one was crafted in 1976. And uh, the governor is operating under the one from 1945 that does not have any legislative oversight of it. Uh, the one from 76 does. So, And the one from 76 specifically says that nothing in it um, uh, diminishes what was done in 45. So the, the governor is going to say, I have this authority. And uh, we've uh, already heard from one former judge who was an Engler appointee who said that the governor would probably win on that argument. Uh, looking at this politically, I, I'm probably, I may be biased here in favor of the governor, but I'm hard-pressed to see any political advantage to her uh, suggesting that she's really, uh, uh, she's really doing this on the basis of principle and what uh, medical uh, authorities are telling her. Uh, what about the Republicans? Are they acting on principle or are they being political? Well, I think in large part they're being fueled by the concerns they're hearing from their constituents. Uh, they represent parts of the state, by and large, that have been relatively untouched by the COVID-19 crisis. I mean, we're talking about folks from rural Michigan, northern Michigan, Shoot, you have uh, as many total cases of COVID-19 in the entire Upper Peninsula during this entire pandemic, and that equals one day of positive new cases from Oakland County. So, I mean, this is the type of disconnect that we're seeing. The folks in northern um, parts of the state and rural states are being impacted by 
the medicine or the cure to the virus more than they're being impacted by the disease themselves. And so that's what's driving these Republican legislators. They're being, they're just voicing concerns from the constituents who can't get their businesses running, can't get unemployment, and so on and so forth. So that's, that's I think, the, the main driver of it um, is they're having to do the work of, they feel, an administration who um, just can't seem to get their UIA system right and uh, who are not trusting that people in rural parts state who are socially distanced anyway uh, will do the right thing and cover their face mask or cover their faces and wash their hands and keep six feet apart. You know, we've seen the legislature and the governor not be able to get together on a hitherto huge issue, roads, uh, which nobody much cares about at the moment. But is there a middle ground here? There's going to have to be at some point. As far as the emergency declaration, I don't know if there is. I think basically uh, the legislature can sue and uh, get the matter settled in court, just maybe for posterity's sake. But then after that, I'm not quite sure that there is any else. I think the legislature, if they lose, and we're just presuming, let's say they do, uh, is going to have to say, okay, I guess the governor is, like Shirky's words, a dictator. And, uh, you know, if you all like that, then that's fine, I suppose. But this isn't good government going forward, and there needs to be reform. The polling I have seen indicates in general, the public courts the governor because they're expressing personal fears about going back to work. They want things to go slowly. Uh, do you see a big political downside here at all for the governor? Yeah, I do. But you know what? I think she's done a good job so far walking the tightrope uh, between staying on the um, concern about protecting the public's health and then gradually um, restoring uh, some of our uh, freedoms. And, you know, she doesn't want to be the first one out of the gate to open up bars and restaurants and then all of a sudden see a spike in cases. She doesn't want to be that test case. If other states that have not been as impacted by as Michigan want to go ahead and do that, like let's say Utah or Texas or whatever, if they want to try that, you know, go ahead. Uh, but she's going to be much more uh, reluctant to do that until she feels confident that the public is ready to go out and kind of live in this COVID-19 world uh, with the proper precautions and not accelerate uh, this virus any more than it has been. Uh, you know, her health director already said that we're going to be living with this thing for in, going into 2021. So it's not like we can all stay in our houses till then. We have to learn to live with this virus. And I think that the public is gradually coming to terms with that. And so I don't think she's going to try and accelerate that realization uh, prematurely. Uh, gradually, we will get back to uh, being allowed to go to bars and restaurants, but it will be a very different kind of situation. And we're all going to have to live differently. And that transition is going to be gradual. And um, you know, that's, I think, what governors keep in mind. You're listening to 89FM here on The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz with City Pulse talking to Kyle Malin from Mears, the Capital Newsletter. Kyle, another interesting tightrope, I suppose, is that she has become quite a national figure with serious consideration, apparently, to be Joe Biden's vice presidential running mate. And she has been all over the national media. What's your take on what's motivating her to accept, it seems like, every request to be on MSNBC or CNN or wherever? 
Well, I think there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, I think she wants to increase exposure to Michigan, that if uh, she doesn't feel like the federal government's doing enough to get us uh, personal protective equipment or uh, more test kit or what have you, that maybe somebody who's watching these shows does and is willing to uh, either donate or sell to the state that stuff. I mean, obviously, there is a lot of competition out there right now among the states for these very limited supplies. And I think right now the big uh, the big thing is testing equipment so that they can test the universe of people who have COVID-19 and then get a handle on where it is and, and keep those people isolated uh, while the rest of us uh, can, can go and, and uh, do the things that we do. So I think that's her primary motivation. Um, and then the, the what fuels it, though, is that she's really good on television. Uh, there's not a lot of governors who are as good in sharing a message in responding quickly to questions and responding intelligently and being as personable as she is. And so the networks like that. And also she makes a great foil for Donald Trump. I mean, she's not afraid to go after him if she doesn't agree with the federal response. And they like that too, because let's face it, bro, we know what sells in this industry and it's conflict. I mean, uh, conflict is what drives a lot of news. And if Whitmer is providing some of that, they're going to give her a call. I think some of this uh, is driven, too, by those of us who've known her for many, many years now, that she is she comes across on television pretty much as she comes across in person. She just yep. seems so genuine. Yep. No, you're exactly right. No, she's, she's just – when she was in the legislature, that was her strong point, was sharing a message and, uh, and going to war with Republicans if need be. But conveying that message and being persuasive verbally, that's always been her strong suit. And uh, that suit, that, uh, that, that um, skill set works really well on television. Does she run into a problem, though, if indeed she continues as a serious uh, potential vice presidential running mate with Michigander saying, are you kidding me? You're going to desert us now? Uh, I mean, this crisis is not going to go away in, anytime in the near future. Possibly, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where if the um, the Democratic presidential nominee says, I need a somebody who has experience running a state, who has successfully leaded, led a state out of a potential catastrophe and into um, you know a much more safe environment, um, then that's who I want. And, and I think that... Uh, Folks here in Michigan realize that um, that it's a bigger state, it's a bigger uh, position. It's more important to be vice president maybe than governor, and so maybe the uh, the thinking is is that she's taking her skill set to even a higher level that will help more people than just us here in Michigan. Um, whether it's her or Garland Gilcrest that's uh, overseeing uh, the budget. The same people are in place down here. Uh, he's got the same advice uh, that she would receive, and I'm not quite sure that there would be uh, that significant. Uh, I don't think the transition would be that rocky going from one to the other, quite frankly. And, and actually, we may well face a campaign like no other where there are no uh, mass rallies and uh, she may uh, spend more time in Michigan than a uh, vice presidential candidate has ever spent in, in his or her home state. <laughs> yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, we'll see how it works out. I, I'm not quite sure that she's going to 
end up uh, getting that position, though, Burrow, to be honest. I, I think that for a couple reasons, uh, one of them being that Joe Biden looking at what his biggest uh, weaknesses are, uh, and that being his age and questions about whether he's got the uh, faculties to, to do the job and, and who would be the best person uh, to take over the reins of the federal government if, if something tragic were to happen to him. And that would be somebody who's got a lot of experience in the federal government. So that's why I would think that Amy Klobuchar, for example, would be a better pick. The other thing is, too, is that Whitmer does have some negatives going toward her. She is, since she is actively doing things right now as a governor of the state, between now and when the, uh, Biden makes his pick, there's going to be a lot of negatives on her. All these protests are going on, make bad television. And, uh, you know, the whole problem with the contract on the contact tracing and uh, the fact that her administration first picked a Democratic firm. I know she said that that was a mistake and she quickly resolved it, but that's going to become an issue as well that uh, Republicans can point to that Biden doesn't need. It becomes a distraction that they don't necessarily need and would prefer probably to take off the table. And then this budget problem is going to be huge. Burl. I mean, $2.6 billion is what we're looking at. And if we don't got federal funds, then the cuts are going to be bad. And the, the Republican legislature is going to make her life hell. And um, it's just it's going to create a lot of negative pressures on her and a lot of negative news that, unfortunately for her, isn't, isn't going to work. And, and it's pressures that somebody like uh, Kamala Harris or uh, Klobuchar or somebody else who's in Congress doesn't have to worry about right now. Uh, before I let you go, uh, now we have the controversy swirling around Joe Biden and a woman accusing her him of sexually assaulting her. Uh, I, I would expect you uh, or uh, others are going to be asking the governor uh, what she, where she comes down on this. Uh, yeah. Her, she has, of course, uh, 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 told the public that she was a sexual assault victim, a rape victim in college. Uh, what does she do? Uh, <laughs> what is a safe answer for her, uh, a potential vice presidential running mate? Yeah, that's a good question. We'll see what she ends up saying about it. That's one of the suggested questions in the press pool for today, which is Friday. We'll see if that gets asked. But uh, I, I think that is a fair question. I think that's why she may want to be dialing back her or her national availability right now, because I'm sure she doesn't want to answer that question. I don't know what a safe answer is. I'm not I'm not good at PR and spin. But, you know, as you said, as a sexual assault survivor, she does have to mention that that is a concern. And I'm sure she would also mention, too, though, that she's had many, many interactions with Joe Biden, and that's not the person she knows, uh, whereas she would probably say the president has a much more established um, record on the treatment of, of women that, that everybody has seen for many, many years um, that uh, I'm sure she would say is much, much more concerning. It is interesting uh, to look now at uh, the, the contention that women should be believed, and yet we've got Joe Biden saying, well, not in this case. <laughs> so we will see how this plays out. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Of course, Merle. Thank you. Read Kyle Malin's column weekly in City Pulse in print and online. And you're listening to City Pulse on the Air on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. What's new politically? MSU political scientist Matt Grossman joins us for our weekly conversation. Matt, what's on your mind politically speaking since uh, we talked a week ago? Well, we've seen a, a repolarization 
of the debate surrounding policies to uh, to address uh, COVID-19. Um, we sort of started with a more polarized uh, public and political response, then we went through a a middle period um, where kind of everyone was on the same page for a little while, um, and we are back to, to polarization. So the, the grace did not last long. And uh, what uh, what evidence uh, is there of this polarization? Well, we're starting to see that polling on how big of a problem the outbreak uh, and policies designed to address it are both moving apart again after they were, for about a month, they were moving uh, together between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, are you talking mainly about uh, uh, congressional legislation? Uh, we're also seeing at the elite level uh, some uh, dissension, but um, we saw some dissension before um, that was resolved. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, chalk it to, to say that we're not going to get another stimulus package. I think um, we often see what looks like a disagreement uh, beforehand that's been resolved. So. Uh, obviously, at the state level, we're seeing a lot more um, direct uh, conflict uh, between Republicans and Democrats and uh, direct uh, protest of the governor's policies. Um, but uh, I would say the polarization is just most visible in, in kind of basic public opinion um, on uh, the crisis, where it was looking like we were going to get a consensus, um, and now we've moved apart again. Uh, so how would how would you suggest political leaders uh, address this? Well, I think that the main uh, issue still is is confronting the actual public health crisis, and so uh, it's still true that uh, a policy or a um, public statement that that looked bad now um, will be looked favorably uh, in the future if it if it helps to resolve the crisis and vice versa. So um, even if there's an opening to say let's uh, restart the economy now, if we're back in the same place uh, a month. As a result of having restarted the economy, then then those um, the, those uh, decisions will will look a lot worse uh, in retrospect. So I think um, leaders are better off kind of uh, ignoring the moment to moment reaction and trying to implement the policies they think will work. Let's talk more about Michigan. Governor now is in a standoff with the legislature. She has extended uh, the emergency order to the end of the May, but the legislature disagrees. It appears to be headed to port. Do you think the uh, Governor Whitmer has the cred with the populace to get her way? Well, I'm not sure that it's uh, up to public opinion um, that, that she's relying on a, a fairly direct um, uh, legislative um, enactment that allows her to extend the state of emergency. So it's sort of up to the courts, I guess, to interpret that. But most of what I've seen has, has suggested that she does have uh, some power um, to, to issue it on, on her own. And the legislature seeking to overturn that law is also a hint uh, that uh, they, they, they may agree. Um, they, of course, are also pursuing legal action, but I'm not sure the courts will be responsive to public opinion. Um, in terms of the, the public sentiment, um, her approval rating has, has risen. Her um, approval in particular on uh, dealing with the crisis is high and much higher uh, than than Trump's, um, and so uh, you would expect her to be to start in a pretty good uh, place. Although um, protest actions and visible um, dissent um, do have a, a tendency to both polarize and, and move uh, that consensus opinion. 
but it, what we're seeing in popular opinion is uh, people are not in a huge rush to get back to work uh, because they fear for their safety. Uh, maybe she'll lose at the uh, lose in the court, uh, 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 the Supreme Court of Michigan, but win in the court of public opinion, and people will largely do what she is asking them to do. Yeah, there um, does seem to be evidence now uh, that um, sometimes the behavior precedes the, the policy. So uh, people started uh, to, to stay home more often uh, before the stay home orders, um, and they may uh, stay at home longer uh, than the, the stay at home orders are in effect if, um, you know, if they don't view it as safe to, to go back to work or go back to, to shop. Um, that won't necessarily uh, be to, to Whitmer's benefit. Um, you know, it could actually mean that something that we've attributed to the policy, um, you know, could could be achieved by changes in, in social behavior uh, alone, um, which which would actually be good news over over the longer term, uh, if if people were uh, kind of willing to to implement some version of the policy uh, on their own. Uh, let's turn uh, what well, we're talking to Matt Grossman, uh, MSU political scientist. Uh, you're listening to the impact here on 89FM. Uh, I'm Burl Schwartz from City Pulse. Uh, Matt, let's turn to uh, a national political issue. Vice, uh, former Vice President Joseph Biden uh, has flatly denied that he sexually assaulted a woman uh, back, I think, in 1993 and has uh, told everybody, let's search for anything you can find that says she even registered a complaint. Uh, this, of course, hasn't played out yet. She is going to appear on national television, Tara Reid. Uh, but what's your take on uh, uh, whether this complaint has legs, how disruptive it might be to the Biden's march to the candidacy. Well, it is uh, generating some uh, news coverage, and um, I think that the story uh, has greater legs because um, of the way the Democrats responded to the to the Kavanaugh uh, accusation uh, by by Christine Ford, um, where a lot of them, including Biden, uh, said that uh, the presumption should be given uh, to the accuser. Um, and so now they're having those those words uh, kind of uh, brought back into the, the current situation. Um, there are some details and, and differences. Um, in, in this case, um, Sheeple um, said that she filed a complaint and she said that uh, she reported it uh, to, to specific higher ups um, who have denied it. So um, so there is uh, some some additional checkable. Uh, facts, and that's what uh, the Biden campaign is is relying on. Um, but but I do think uh, that that story that the Democrats um, are uh, taking an easier line here uh, than they than they did under the Kavanaugh nomination uh, will um, you know will have some uh, purchase with the public. Uh, that said, um, the primary is over, and the general election is uh, against a, a president who's had uh, a very large number of. Uh, uh, sexual harassment and assault allegations uh, against him. Um, so it's hard to see it making a, a huge difference in general election voting. Uh, it's interesting to see, uh, as you commented on, to see uh, Democrats who are uh, very quick to say, as uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi did, 
that uh, Biden, uh, that they believe Biden. Uh, he has a mixed record on this issue. I suppose he had to apologize once before uh, regarding complaints from women that he was a little too touchy, not sexually. Uh, but uh, do, do you think overall uh, Biden's reputation is such that uh, if if proof doesn't emerge, that he will be okay? Uh, well, this is, uh, you know, I would say this is a, a much different um, allegation. It's of uh, an explicit uh, sexual assault. Um, uh, what he has apologized uh, for before um, doesn't rise to that uh, level. Um, on the other hand, it's it's sort of widely known and on video in many places that that he's um, that he's touched uh, people on the shoulders and and been very close to to women uh, without. Uh, getting consent in advance, so um, that that's possible. There's a possibility that that overall reputation uh, will make people more likely uh, to believe uh, the accuser uh, in in this case. Um, but uh, you know, I think that the specifics of the, of the allegation and how it's covered will probably be more important. Um, and so, if there isn't any uh, documentation of the complaint that she said she filed. Um, and there's no one able to uh, confirm uh, that uh, she spoke to higher ups in the office at that point, and no other allegations come come forward. Um, then you know it's it's uh, I guess hard to see this being a central issue in November. Finally, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Michigan Congressman Justin Amash has uh, indicated an interest in running for presidency. Uh, how does this affect uh, Michigan in particular? Uh, will it make a difference uh, to the outcome of a Biden-Trump race? I think it's unlikely to have a major uh, effect. Um, in 2016, the Libertarians actually uh, did quite well, uh, both in Michigan and, and nationally. So they're actually sort of starting from a, a high level. Um, and in past uh, close presidential elections, like in 2000, the third party vote has gone down afterwards. Um, we also saw the third party vote go down in congressional elections um, last year. So there, there's some sign that, um, you know, once people vote for a third party candidate and they, um, they you know, they're unable to impact uh, their, the, the choice between the two um, the two main party nominees, especially in a swing state like Michigan, that they're unlikely to do it in the future. So if I had to guess, I would say third party voting will actually decline uh, both nationally and in Michigan um, in 2020. Matt Grossman, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. This is City Pulse on the air on 88.9 WDBM-FM here at Michigan State University. I'm Burl Schwartz. With no live performances except live streamed, our Rich Tupac has turned his attention this spring to local recorded music from over the years. Let's go out with a sample. Thanks for tuning in for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz, and here's Rich Tupica. Hi, City Pulse listeners. Uh, the track I'm going to be spotlighting today is by an old Lansing band called The Plagues. Uh, this particular track... It's called I've Been Through It Before. It was recorded way back in 1967 for a small label called Fenton Records. Um, it's got a huge cult following across the world and sells for hundreds of dollars, um, but its roots are right here in the capital city. So check out this uh, garage rock classic by The Plagues. 
you expected me to Believe every word you said But now 